0: The reading today is Romans 8, verses 1 to 17, which is on page 1134 of the Church Bibles. Okay. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But the body is subject to death, uh, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit, he lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation It is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory.
1: Good evening. It's good to have you with us today. Are you still awake, still with us? That's good. I tend to find, if you laugh at my jokes, I come across a lot funnier, so um, that, that would help. As we continue through this evening, we are looking at the second week of our Enjoying Discipleship series. As a church, it's our vision to make the mature disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipleship is this whole life thing. It's the way we're called to live and learn as Christians, working out our faith and our life. And we've called this Joyful Discipleship, the combination of which we hope not only fuels your discipleship, but adds a little bit of joy. To enjoy something is to let something cause you joy. I enjoy pancakes. Pancakes cause me joy 100% of the time. Uh, I enjoy chocolate. Chocolate causes me joy 100% of the time. I enjoy puppies. Pictures of puppies, videos of puppies. Puppies cause me joy 150% of the time. I enjoy my discipleship. I enjoy my faith 73% of the time. Joyful discipleship is perhaps a flawed title because not every aspect of my life and my faith causes me immediate joy. The first thing that comes to mind is not immediate joy. As much joy as I've had, I've had just as many sleepless nights, tears and big questions about my faith. Can you relate to that? Joy is often a battle that's hard won. For me, there's been battles in my discipleship to find joy. I want to be real with you this evening because joy is less certain than we would like it to be. We have to look for and fight for joy in our discipleship. As much as I seek to have full enjoyment of the Holy Spirit, I can at times find myself more confused than enjoying it. I find the church can be equally as confused I've seen churches that have come alive with the Holy Spirit as they faithfully put into practice what the New Testament teaches about the Holy Spirit. I've seen the fruits. I've seen the gifts. I've seen people experience full healing through the Holy Spirit. Someone I knew who was deaf in one ear, through one encounter with the Holy Spirit, went from being deaf to being able to hear. I've seen the gift of tongues in in action during a small prayer meeting. Someone who is able to speak to a Portuguese lady in perfect Portuguese. They didn't know Portuguese. They were able to speak to this lady in Portuguese and call them by their childhood nickname. Remarkable stuff that fuels our faith. I've seen that stuff. I've, I've seen the spirit misused, abused and disregarded. It doesn't really fuel faith but detracts from our faith. So I come to a topic like this, enjoying the Holy Spirit with a real want for joy but just as much confusion. So do I throw myself in, or do I hold myself back? I, I kind of balance on the fence. I teeter-totter between being fully in and holding back. The problem with neither being fully in or fully back is that we dwell in this in-between of indecision. Now, the middle ground is not where we're called to be as Christians. As Christians, we're called to deepen our faith, to um, live life in all its fullness, not live life in all its in-betweenness. It's the fullness that the Holy Spirit will transform, it's in fullness that the Holy Spirit will transform our discipleship. The Spirit is a gift given to the Christian, and it's a gift given to the church. It's given to those who fully throw themselves in. It's by seeing the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and in the church that we can experience fully the joy of discipleship. As we read through Romans 8 this evening, we come across two phrases which provide for us an anchor in Paul's writing. They provide the central thought that is weaved throughout the passage. It's through these phrases that we can navigate to what Paul was teaching the early church about the Holy Spirit. Like building blocks, these phrases come together to build up the key idea in this passage. Paul writes firstly to those who are in Christ, and secondly to those who are in the Spirit. In doing so, he provides for us a certainty of what life can look like in Christ and in the Spirit, as well as a challenge to our discipleship to live life in such a way. To live in Christ means to live a life that is marked and changed by relationship with Jesus to be devoted to our discipleship, devoted to him. Paul uses this phrase to describe those as Christians who have thrown themselves fully in. There came a point in my life where I realized I couldn't live my relationship with God through my parents. My relationship with God was a relationship with a car that drove me to church on a Sunday morning. Decided that that wasn't enough for me and for for me to have a personal relationship with Jesus meant throwing myself fully in. That was almost the last thing I did. Uh, At at my baptism, I went into the water, and there was a moment I almost didn't come back out of the water. They'd never baptised someone as tall as me, Um, and those who know anything about physics know stuff about pivots, and there was a point where I almost went too far. It was almost the last thing I did, but it was the best thing I did. To be in Christ is also to be a member of a church, to throw yourself into faith community with others. If you're a student joining us this evening, you may have just moved from a church you know and are known to this new place. Well, I'd encourage you are welcome here. We want you to find a place where you can be in discipleship with others because it's being in church community, being in Christ with others that we can see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. This, says Paul, is key to our discipleship, to be one who is in Christ Jesus. Just as this is key, so is being in the Spirit The Spirit is a promise given by God of the New Testament, fulfilled at Pentecost in the New Testament, the indwelling presence of God given to the Christian and to the church. Jesus' own words in John 14 testify this. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. We see here these two building block statements come together. The passage starts with, If you love me, keep my commands. That is to be in Christ. The follow-on is the promise of the indwelling spirit. We have in Christ. We have in the spirit. Quite literally, this is the indwelling spirit. This is the right and proper use of that word, literally. You hear people say literally this, literally that. This is the right and proper use of that word, literally. Because the spirit is the word pneuma. Now that means breath or wind. The spirit is the breathed breath of God. It is the wind of God dwelling with us. As God breathes life into Adam, God breathes his spirit into us. That's that picture the word brings to mind. To be in the spirit is as much for the spirit to be in us, the breath of God to live within us. As Paul teaches on discipleship in Romans 8, we see that these phrases, in Christ, in the Spirit, are used interchangeably. To live fully in Christ and to live in the Spirit cannot happen separately. Like Jack and Jill going up the hill, they go hand in hand. We see this in verses 1 through 4. If you've still got your Bibles open in front of you, I'd encourage you to look at them now. Verses 1 through 4 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in but according to the Spirit. That's discipleship language for being in the Spirit. According to the Spirit, in the Spirit, the same things. The bookends of these verses are those who are in Christ, in the Spirit, and they build up a picture of what it means to be fully a disciple of Jesus Christ. Using these two statements, Paul is teaching the early church some theology of the Holy Spirit, some, some thoughts and thinking around the Holy Spirit to build up their discipleship. That's what he has in mind. To live in the Spirit is to be fully free. With our two bookend building blocks in mind, let's return to verses 1 to 4. What does it look like to be a disciple in Christ and in the Spirit? Well, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for Paul, this is a repeating idea. He says this before. If we jump back to Romans chapter 5, it starts with the same thing. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those who are in Christ, the entanglement of sin, sin has been dealt with. Those who are in Christ can experience full freedom. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are fully free the scripture says this because through jesus christ the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death we can experience full freedom from the penalty of sin through jesus christ and through the spirit this is the gospel this is good news for us because of jesus and because of the spirit we are fully free god did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The reality of Jesus' victory over sin becomes a reality for us in our lives when we live according to the Spirit of God. Now the Spirit of the Lord, Lord, now the Lord is spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When we are in Christ and in the Spirit, we can experience Full freedom. Full freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want to do. It's not we can go this way or that way. That's not how the Bible would define full freedom. The Bible would define full freedom as the freedom to do what God has called us to do. It doesn't mean we live this life going off the rails wherever we like. It's all right. We've got full freedom. That's not freedom. That's what we've been freed from. That is sin, sin seeking to entangle. Freedom is grace seeking to release us. In the last few weeks, uh, myself and my wife, Abby, we've just moved house. Students, if you're new to Southampton, may I introduce to you this magical place you can go and visit. It's called Ikea. We've we've been to, we've been aware of Ikea. I remember the days where to visit Ikea, you had to get in a car and travel hours. You had to work out how to fit everything into the boot. But now it's right on our doorstep. When you go to Ikea, you get home and you have that moment where you realize you've now got to build what you've bought. It doesn't come ready for you. Um, you have a choice. Do I, do I A, follow the instructions step by step? The result of this is usually um, successful, I would say successful. Or do I B, take a cursory glance at the instructions, decide proudly that I can probably do it better myself and throw them to the side? I have full freedom to make that choice. Do I, A, follow the instructions laid out for me by the maker and the designer, or do I, B, disregard them, think I know what's best, and try and hash it out myself? Well, life carries the same questions. Do I follow the instructions here in the Bible, or do I proudly decide that I can probably work it out better by myself? We're free to make that choice, we have full freedom, do I live in Christ and in the Spirit, or do I live my life in the opposite way, which is sin or the flesh? This is definitely an area of my life I teeter-totter between. Option A and option B It's a choice we all have to make. Hmm. Full freedom or murder? That's probably an easy one, to be honest. What about full freedom or pornography? Full freedom, I like this, good call and response. Full freedom or drink and drugs? What about full freedom or gossip? Full freedom or anger? Full freedom or selfishness? It's those choices that we teeter-totter between. Do I do it my way or do I do it your way, God? The Bible tells us that full freedom can only come when we choose option A, when we are fully in Christ and in the Spirit. Where are your teeter-totters? What are you balancing between? We've all got them. What is it that's stopping you from being fully free? Reading on in our passage, as we get past verses 1 to 4, Paul moves the listener to consider life in the flesh and life in the spirit. He says this, "'Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires.'" The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Verse 6 there carries for us an ultimatum. It says that the mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the spirit is life. It seems we have these two opposite statements. This is not just a one-off thing. If we jump back from verse 6 to verse 5, we see another comparison. It says this, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. That's number one, the flesh and the flesh desires. And number two, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. We have that comparison. We go back to verse 6, we see the same comparison is here as well. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Our second comparison. We jump down again and we follow to here. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now this last phrase abandons the comparison that we've seen in the previous two. The state of living is developed rather than contrasted. However, within the context of the previous two comparisons, it would not be too big a jump and a leap for us to suggest that if the former is true, that if the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God, it cannot please God, that the opposite would also be true, that a mind governed by the Spirit would submit to God's law and would please God. The comparison here is inferred. These comparisons are a construction technique building towards Paul's prevailing message in this part of the passage. Paul is revealing that to live in is to be fully alive. The contrast in verses 5 to 8 oppose two states of living. Firstly, we have according to and governed by the flesh. This results in death, a broken relationship with God. And secondly, we see uh, living a life according to and governed by the Spirit the result of which is life and restored relationship with God. Here, this word flesh does not mean our physical skin. Paul uses this word to describe our humanness, not our flesh and blood, but the human within, the reality of our humanly human, brokenly broken normal normality. As people who are flawed, it's our human nature at work within us where sin comes so easily into our lives and entangles us. Living a life motivated by the flesh is a life lived without these bookends of being in Christ and in the Spirit. Without these as a foundation, sin is what is left. For one who lives according to the flesh, life looks like unbalanced desires, death and hostility and broken relationship with God. But there is a better way. With our foundation in Christ and in the Spirit, we can become fully alive. What's stopping you from being fully alive? The, the things of the flesh, they can so easily entangle us and distract us. What are those things that are stopping us from living a life that is, has a foundation of being in Christ and in the Spirit? The mind governed by the Spirit is life. Galatians 6 verse 8 says this, Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit... From the Spirit will reap eternal life. In the story of your life, watch what you sow and you can watch where you grow. That is Paul's encouragement to the church. A life lived in is a life that is fully alive. You don't need to take my word for it. Look to verses 9 to 11 of this passage. This is Paul speaking directly to those who are in. He says this, You, however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Hear what Paul has already said. He says again, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if you are in Christ and in the Spirit, they still go hand in hand. If you are in, look at what happens. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subjected to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness what was dead comes alive in the spirit of god the spirit makes a reality for us the reality of a risen jesus jesus rising from the dead that moment was when sin was defeated before this when people died they died apart from a few instances in the bible where this doesn't take place people die we are going to die Even though our bodies are subjected to death because of sin, Christ died for us. See, the Spirit makes a reality for us, the reality of Jesus rising. This enables us to become fully alive. This is the Spirit at work within us. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. This truth is not a passive truth. It's not the sort of truth you can hear this evening you can go home and forget completely about. This is an active truth. And as such, it's an active truth that requires from us an active response. We are required, we are encouraged and required to do something about this. We can't just hear this and go on with our lives. We're encouraged to do something something about it, to respond to Jesus and the Spirit. So Paul says this, Therefore, Because of what we've just heard, this is how we can respond. Brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. This obligation is not a legal contract that we sign to living in Christ and in the Spirit. It's not a contract, but a choice. It's a relational response to God. We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. What's the flesh done for you? It's not to the flesh to live according to it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. What's the flesh done for you? But if by the spirit you put to death the mis- misdeeds of the body, you will live. What has Jesus done for you? Now, where, where, where are you at with this? Are you fully alive or, well, this passage would tell us if we're not fully alive, that we're on a journey towards death. There is certainty in Paul's writing here that those who are fully in, those who are in Christ's And in the spirit, we'll see full life. There's also a challenge for those who aren't. And the result is death. Where are you at? We have an obligation, a relationship response, an invitation to this relationship to work out our discipleship, to enjoy our discipleship. The choice is ultimately yours. Where are you at? You can probably tell from my rugged athleticism that I was never in captain of the football team or in the football team, um, or watch the football team. I was never in the team. But in this passage, as we read through, we see there's a truth, that those who are in Christ and in the Spirit are adopted as sons and daughters. You are fully found. If you've not been following this, you'll see that in the Spirit we are fully free, we are fully alive and we are fully found. This is the picture that being in Christ and in the Spirit builds up for us. This means that those who are in Christ and in the Spirit are adopted as sons and daughters into relationship with God. Read this. For those who are led by the Spirit, for those who are in the Spirit, are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. This means we belong. When we are in Christ and we are in spirit, we see that what takes place in our lives, we become fully free, fully alive, and we we have this identity that is then fully found. The spirit is a marker of our belonging. It causes us to respond like Jesus did. Jesus calls out, Abba, Father. These words in this passage, Jesus himself calls out, Abba, Father. And yet we, the adopted children of God, Can respond to God in the same way that Jesus, the one and only Son, responds to God. You see how we belong on this same level? There is no difference, there is no separation. When we are in Christ and in the Spirit, we are fully found. This says the Bible is a work of the Spirit. We can't get to this point by ourselves. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now that is big S and little s, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. This means that the Spirit of God is at work within us. It's only in the Spirit that we are fully found. It's only in the Spirit that we have this relationship with God. Now this is what joyful discipleship can look like. It looks like being fully free, fully alive and fully found. Where are you at this evening with this? Uh, can I invite you to stand? I've talked a lot. I'm going to stop talking in a moment, I promise. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I said earlier that this is an active truth, not a passive truth. You can go home this evening and forget everything I've said. Or you can go this e- home this evening having come to encounter the Lord Jesus, to encounter the Holy Spirit. That will look like full freedom, full life, and full identity. All of this is an offer for those who are in. But where are you on that teeter-totter, that balance from left to right? Are you on the fence about some of this stuff? Where are you missing out on the fullness of this freedom, the fullness of this life, the fullness of this found identity? Now, Above our Church, we never speak as if God is, isn't in the room. We never speak as if this stuff isn't real, real to us. God is here this evening. His spirit is here with us. That's promised in the Bible. And perhaps for the first time or the 100th time, you can meet with him here now. Lord Jesus, we still ourselves before you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as confusing it as it can be at times, in that the balance that we, we balance between, Lord, where am I? Am I seeing full freedom, full life, full identity in my life? Where am I?